0: Welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. I'm your lead investigator on this case, Judith A. Yates, award winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Every episode is an investigation where you and I explore true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. We discuss the cases, share information, no chatter, No commercials, no off-topic. Now, grab your crime scene kit, a notebook, and your favorite hat. This is Best True Crime Podcast. The date is 1940. The place is Italy. Your mission is to consider, is there a correlation between criminal behavior and being a child conceived through rape? This is Part 2 of 2, Leonardo Conciulli, Italy's first female serial killer who fed her victim's flesh to an unsuspecting public. Let's recap. We must go back to the early 1800s for a moment to understand this case. Leonardo Conciulli was born April 18, 1894, in the Kingdom of Italy, to peasants in Montella. Her mother, Emilia, became pregnant with Leonardo when Emilia was raped. To save face in her community, Emilia was forced to marry her rapist once she discovered she was with child. Emilia became emotionally abusive to Leonardo, and Leonardo was suicidal at a very young age. Leonardo would grow up to be a criminal and marry a poor man named Raphael Ponsardi in 1917. They would move town to town while Leonardo's criminal behavior continued. She had threatened somebody with a knife and would be arrested in 1919, and she would eventually develop a reputation as a loose woman and a con artist. In 1927, she was arrested and convicted for fraud and given 10 months in prison. This is when her defense attorney tried and failed to get her to plead insanity. In between, there were 17 pregnancies, with only four surviving, between Leonardo and Raphael. Leonardo began educating herself in spiritualism, the occult, astrology, and casting spells. Her family finally settled in the province of Reggio Emilia. Raphael took work as a clerk. He would eventually become an alcoholic and leave the family. Leonardo stayed and she sold furniture and clothing. She was very well liked and very respected, and she worked out of apartment building number 11 on the third floor. She also told fortunes and would say she hypnotized clients, claiming to have special powers to help make their dreams come true. Now, Leonardo was no stranger to the art of telling fortunes, and she was fiercely protective of her four surviving children, because once when she was young, a fortune teller told her, You will marry and have children, but all of the children will die young. In your right hand, I see prison. In your left hand, a criminal asylum. Leonardo's oldest son Giuseppe was a student of literature and he was definitely her favorite child. But in 1938, Leonardo received news that Giuseppe was being drafted into the Royal Italian Army for World War II. The superstitious and protective Leonardo determined human sacrifice would ensure Giuseppe's safety. So she focused on Faustina Sette, a 73-year-old, poor, lonely, unmarried woman who was desperate for a husband, and Leonardo tricked Faustina into believing she had found her a husband residing in Pola. Leonardo instead murdered Faustina, used an axe to cut up the body, and chopped Faustina Sette into nine parts. But she mixed some of the remains and would use it to make sweets to feed visitors and local children. She stole all of Faustina's money, and Leonardo would later say it took her less than 12 minutes to chop up Faustina's corpse. But one human sacrifice was not enough to ensure Giuseppe's safety, or perhaps Leonardo just became very greedy, because Leonardo Concini's debauchery was just beginning. And this brings us to September 5th, 1940. Leonardo focused her attention on another lonely neighbor, kindergarten teacher, Francesca Soavi. And this is part two. Francesca was poor, single, 55 years old, with thick black hair and eyebrows, strong of jaw, and when looking at someone, she gave the impression she was harshly judging them. But in reality, she was a sad and lonely woman. She came to Leonardo for companionship mostly, have an occasional fortune told. Leonardo was someone to talk to because Francesca just didn't have that many friends. Francesca desperately wished for what most women her age and statue in life wanted. A husband, and with that would come money. She was a prime target for Leonardo. Leonardo would repeat the same pattern, but this time she told Francesca that Leonardo had found her a fantastic job at a girls' school in northern Italy, and because the school was in a bigger town, this meant more men to choose from, better possibilities, Giddy with excitement, Francesca wrote cards and letters of goodbye without saying where she was going. This would make the transaction easier, her good friend advised. And she also signed over power of attorney to Leonardo. Leonardo said this would also make the transaction easier. Francesca's last visit with Leonardo Conciulli was on September 5, 1940. And this is when Leonardo drugged her good friend with tainted wine, used the same axe to behead her, chopped up the body in pieces, and then used the blood and other parts of the body to make tea cakes. Leonardo would later confess she used the meat from both Faustina's body and Francesca's body for cooking stews and for roasting. Leonardo made about 3,000 lira in cash from Francesca's murder. That's about $2,500 in today's U.S. currency. Francesca was poor. It was wartime. Every cent counted. One had to seize every opportunity. And it only took a few weeks later for another opportunity for Leonardo. Leonardo was good friends with a widow woman named Virginia Cacioppo. Virginia was a former soprano said to have sung at La Scala and Virginia had studied at the prestigious Milan Conservatory, making her debut in 1904. But now, in 1940, the stage lights were permanently down. Virginia didn't have a man to rely on. Virginia was attractive with light blonde hair, a small but pretty smile, and light-colored eyes, but the singing parts went to much younger faces now, slender bodies gracing the stage, Virginia lived with her sister now, and she watched her life and career ending quickly. Until. Good friend Leonardo promised former opera singer Virginia work as a secretary for an impresario in Florence. Virginia could not believe her luck. At 53, here was a chance to turn her memories of glory and say goodbye to a life of poverty. And if she played it right, this impresario was definitely husband material. Leonardo promised. However, it was imperative Virginia Catope keep her mouth shut, Leonardo insisted. Tell no one about this offer. See? Virginia was indebted to Leonardo, but Virginia sang for a living, and now she could not keep her mouth closed. So several friends and her sister understood Virginia was about to embark on this great adventure. However, they didn't know it was courtesy. Kindly, Leonardo Conciulli, the medium extraordinaire. On September 30th, 1940, Virginia went to see Leonardo for one last chance to express her gratitude, and they toasted with wine. At her 1946 trial, Leonardo explained chubby Virginia's fate. She ended up in the pot like the other two. Its flesh was fat and white. When it had melted, I added a bottle of cologne, and after a long time on the boil, I was able to make some most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances. With regret, I observed that the soap was not perfect, because I had to add some ash to it. Leonarda decided to keep making treats, so she would later write of using Virginia Cachopas' remains as an ingredient. The cakes, too, she said, were even better. That woman was really sweet. This time, Leonardo received about fifty thousand lira, jewelry, and public bonds. She raided Virginia's house of valuables and then sold or gifted the victim's clothing, shoes, and jewelry, and she continued to give her neighbors gifts of that wonderful handmade soap. For each of these women, Leonarda had them write letters home prior to their planned departures that never came. Leonarda had kept these letters and had her oldest beloved boy, Giuseppe, drive to certain cities to mail them so it would appear the missing women had sent them. September would turn to October, and soon it was 1941 and tongues were wagging in the city. The opera singer was missing. There was no job in Florence because that theater didn't even exist. Neither did the impresario. What happened to Virginia? And this time... The victim had a family member who did care about what happened to her. Virginia Cachopa's sister, now in some reports she is listed as a sister-in-law, reported Virginia missing. She told police she last saw Virginia walking toward Leonardo's home. Leonardo was also close friends with two other women who had not been seen lately, though no one really kept up with those two. The police spoke with Leonardo. She was so furious at being questioned, she got so upset they had to arrest her. The officers looked at the four foot eleven, one hundred and ten pound woman and decided there was no way this tiny woman could have harmed the robust former opera star. But serial numbers on a bank bond led the detectives on a chase. With Giuseppe Ponsardi at the end. Police ended up searching the third floor apartment in building number 11. They would roll back some rugs that were once sold in Leonardo's store, and voila, there were bloodstains embedded in the floor. And then they discovered dentures worn by Faustina Setti. Now Leonardo and Giuseppe were arrested and charged in March 1941 and that was all the threat Leonardo needed. She did not want her favorite child to land behind bars, so she begins talking, and she kept talking, into her nineteen forty six trial. Time had not been kind to Leonardo, or perhaps the evil she was doing had crept into her face. Leonardo's mugshot reveals a dumpy woman, downturned mouth, thick jowls, and her once luxurious hair now pushed severely away from a thick face. Her ears are set unusually low, her nose and chin sharp. She seems resigned or angered or maybe she's just bored with the whole incident. The trial was delayed because of the war, so for five years, Leonardo and Giuseppe sat behind bars. Oh, but she raised hell about her charges, and she attempted suicide. But while in custody, Leonarda wrote, and she wrote a 700-page memoir. It was titled, An Embittered Soul's Confessions. Her memoir included best practices for turning human body parts into soap. Giuseppe went to trial, but he was acquitted. Both Raphael and Giuseppe Pansardi always claimed innocence of Leonardo's illegal activities. But were they telling the truth? Giuseppe had mailed cards and letters for her, and he had tossed some wrapped bones into a river. But, said Leonardo, he had no idea how these actions connected to my crimes. True or false? The trial finally began in June 1946 for Leonardo outside the jail and courtroom walls people would wait for hours to get a seat to watch the proceedings and nearly stampeded once the gates opened to the courthouse this was the trial of that century she was proud of the fact that she was assisting her country during wartime i gave the copper ladle which i used to skim the fat off the kettles to my country Which was so badly in need of metal during the last days of the war, she would tell the court. Give her a break. Still, it was difficult to believe this woman could dissect a corpse so quickly and without assistance. So the attorneys, judges, and police took Leonardo to the morgue. Now, this might be true, it might not, but it is said she demonstrated her talent by dissecting a corpse. Into nine pieces under 12 minutes. Leonardo Concioli was found guilty of the three murders and given the sentence of three years in a lunatic asylum and 30 years imprisonment after. Her family hugged her tight after the sentencing. But Leonardo never left the asylum. However, it was reported she would cook in the hospital kitchens baking lovely treats, but her fellow inmates refused to go near Leonardo Concelli died of cerebral hemorrhage in the asylum on October 15, 1970. She was 77 years old. The pot and some utensils she used to boil her victims are on display at a museum in Rome. Now, this is the time we spread out our books, papers, pens, and begin the investigation. You are the investigator. What happened to Leonardo Conciulli to create a woman who decapitated three good friends, cut their bodies up with precision skill, and fed the parts to family, friends, and neighbors, while bragging of her wartime donations? Was she mentally ill, superstitious, the product of an abusive environment that began from the womb? We're going to examine the latter. Could Italy's first female serial killer have been doomed before birth? There's a 2019 study titled Bad Blood or My Blood? a qualitative study into the dimensions of interventions for mothers with children born of sexual violence, and it was done by Blockland and Van E. Now this study summarizes that sexual violence can have a profound impact on the survivor, the community, and even the next generation. The study says research has shown that there is a negative relation between the experience of sexual violence of mothers and the well-being of their children. Taking this into consideration, think about what we know of the relationship between a young Leonardo and her mother. We can also check our notes and see how Leonardo's self-esteem and also her criminal behavior affected her community, no matter where she lived. Remember, she was a lifelong criminal. Going back to this 2019 study, It also found that when a child is born out of the experience of sexual violence, the origin of the child is connected to the traumatic experience. This creates motherly feelings of rejection and hatred because the child is a constant reminder of the sexual violence. Now, Leonardo was a constant reminder to her mother that her mother was raped and her mother was forced to marry her rapist. This had to be an ongoing traumatic experience for her mother. Remember, women had no choice back then. And think of all her victims wanted one thing, marry a man, because a man meant financial comfort for the rest of their lives. When we're talking about a child born out of the experience of sexual violence how the origin of the child is created to this traumatic experience it creates motherly feelings of rejection and hatred because that child being a constant reminder and the study said treatment should be multifactored, with therapeutic relationship being the most important remember Leonardo's mother cursed leonarda calling her evil which was probably the worst curse in a superstitious 1800s Italy. In regards to treatment, it was absolutely not available to Leonardo, actually not available to anyone during this time. The same study noted how the postpartum period is a significant mental health risk for children born of rape. In his 2012 book, Far From the Tree, psychologist Andrew Solomon explains that children conceived of rape are far more likely to suffer from severe psychological disorders, the most common of which are post traumatic stress disorder, also known as PTSD, depression, and anxiety. Women who are pregnant from rape suffer enormous maternal stress, which severely affects embryological development. I want you to consider this. Expectant mothers will sing, read, play music to a child in the womb. Do you believe a child in the womb can also experience negative feelings, such as fear, anger, and resentment? Consider the array of negative emotions a survivor of sexual assault would feel. Would those emotions be naturally passed to the fetus? Consider that. In the last years, there have been legal discussions in the United States and in the UK of children conceived from rape to be given legal victim status. And if they are given legal victim status, it would mean they may receive certain victim-survivor benefits. Now, this is going to be a long time waiting and very far from 1894, far too late from little Leonardo. Every study and report that I researched did confirm that most children born from rape had a high risk of suffering psychologically, emotionally, and socially if they did not receive proper care and treatment. Now, this, of course, does not mean all children, and we have to take into consideration the dynamics of tests and studies. To look for a cause of criminal behavior in Leonardo Conciulli, it is prudent to consider her history, to start with her conception. So, Leonarda could have been created, literally, from conception. But you're the investigator here. Do you believe there is a correlation between Leonarda's criminal behavior and her being a child of rape? Are there other circumstances of her life that you would consider? And that is the case of Leonarda Conciulli, Italy's first female serial killer who fed her victim's flesh to an unsuspecting public. Hey listeners, my name is Judith A. Yates. Like so many of you out there, I have suffered from depression and I have been suicidal. I've also been the victim of discrimination, but there is help out there. You can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741 That is the Crisis Text Line. You can connect with a Crisis Counselor and it's free 24-7 support right there at your fingertips. Here's how it works. You text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741 from anywhere in the United States, anytime. And a live trained Crisis Counselor receives the text and will respond. It's a secure online platform. Crisis Counselor can help you with gun violence, coronavirus, anxiety, eating disorder, depression, suicide, give them a text at 741-741. They also say habla espanol and they are GLBT friendly. So don't sit alone and don't do anything dangerous to yourself or others. Please, there is hope out there and there is help. Be safe out there. Thank you for joining me on this investigation, exploring true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. This is Best True Crime Podcast. No chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. I do hope you will subscribe. This podcast runs off donations only. You can drop us a donation, $35 or more, and I'll send you a signed book. Just go to www.besttruecrime.com. My name is Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Thank you for joining me on Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Be safe out there.